With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen of tennis, Twitter, tennis, YouTube, tennis, Facebook. My name is Mitch Michaels. You can call me, uh, I don't know, maybe the special counsel of tennis bets here. The best tennis gambling show that there is on the internet. Kenny Ducey, Pamela Maldonado, Zachary Cohen, all covering and carrying the mantle for this sport that we love in different platforms in different ways. Took a couple weeks off after Wimbledon. We're back to talk tennis bets here with the summer hardcourt season. We are back in action, North American hardcourt season. Let's go around the room and uh, just check in with anyone. Pam, I know it's, look, I know you're a tennis fan all the time, but this is where you really have to prove it because football starting, golf still going. <laughs> You really have to fight for real estate in your sports brain, but we appreciate you coming on here. I do have to fight for time for tennis. As a fan, I kind of give up until the U.S. Open, just like the majority of the U.S., not going to lie. But it's really great background noise. You get to still watch Dominic Team, who we're going to talk about, is still very much in the mix. You have players like God Monface who's back. So there's still like a lot of tennis still worth watching. As a better, it doesn't mean it's worth betting. <laughs> Speaking of uh, background noise, Kenny, good to see you again, as always, in front of the brick wall there in New York City. Um, we have a lot to discuss because it's a slow ramp leading up to the U.S. Open. There wasn't really a lot of time to breathe. There never is in grass court season from clay. It's just a couple tournaments and we're there. We've got a lot of time and, and maybe, dare I say, a lot of data to process. How are you handling the start of the summer hard court swing? I'm enjoying it just like everyone else. You know, I think that, uh, I mean, the City Open is one of my favorite events of the year. And, you know, I, I do feel as though the hard court season is probably the easiest to predict. There's a lot of unpredictability that goes into grass because players, as we saw last year, uh, even this year, right, you got a lot of guys that have historically not been good on grass. They make a lot of adjustments. They work very hard. They become good at it after like nine years. You know, Philip Kranovich and Tommy Paul last year come to mind. Clay, obviously, is the most unpredictable of the surfaces. So hard courts, it's nice to get back on a hard courts. I think we all know what we're doing here with these tournaments. And it's fun because we got a lot of masters coming up. Uh, you know, th there's a lot to play for. And uh, one of my favorite moments of the, the uh, whole year last year was Daniel Evans making the semifinals in uh, Toronto. That was uh, quite the run there. Paulo Carina Busta winning his first, mm -hmm. his first Masters 1000. So there were a lot of great storylines last summer. And I'm excited for another good summer. All right, two minutes and 30 seconds in the first Dan Evans reference of the show and uh, not the last. So good to know that. Good to check in, Kenny. Uh, Zico, nice to see you as well. Uh, we're not all on hard courts either. So we do have a clay event to get to as well uh, in Austria. But you can see the event schedule there. Uh, checking in on a lot. And the combined Washington, D.C. event, the City Open, as Kenny alluded to, this is actually the first time it's a combined event, men and women at the 500 level. You've got some loaded talent, especially on the women's side. The cutoff was number 39 in the world to make main draw. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the DC City Open's yeah, yeah. an awesome tournament. Sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. You probably no, no, no. It. It, was your, it was your turn to talk, but you weren't saying anything. So, you know, I wouldn't want to leave Mitch on an island there. I, 
I didn't know it was my turn. He kind of said hello to me, and I just thought it was like a nice gesture. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, the city opens. Unforced awesome. error by Mitch I mean, Michaels. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to be back on the hard courts. I did not really enjoy the grass season, the short grass season. My Wimbledon futures kind of flamed out. I did do pretty well during the tournament, but yeah, overall, it was my first losing surface in a while. So I'm happy to be out on the hard courts. Although, yeah, like you said, there's some clay mixed in. And this, I'll be honest, that stuff kind of bothers me. I like now that we're gearing up for the U.S. Open, I want all of the best players to be on one surface and just kind of be on a level playing field. Yeah, first off, I'm at a uh, 500, 250 level. I'm ramping up like Djokovic or Alcaraz for the big events, so just don't judge my form here. Uh, and secondly, I'm glad we, we can start with the clay court thing because, Pam, I want to go to you. I know we're going to talk about team here in a second, Nishikori, some veterans working their way back, but Clay court tennis in August, like clay court tennis August, should have an in there. But Sarah, like, are we gonna? Where do we feel about having an event? I know it's an outlier; it's not the biggest event, but how do we feel about this surface this time of year? Um, as long as Dominic Team is in the mix, that's the only reason why you keep it relevant. But the rest of the field, and it's not just clay court tournaments. Like if you look at the other two tournaments, Washington and Los Cabos. There's a whole bunch of players on the list on the field making it down into the round of 16. I'm like, who are these guys? <laughs> like, it's a lot of like unknown players. A lot of players are taking rest. So it's really just like to sit back and kind of watch as a fan. But I mean, if purely if team wasn't in the field, I would probably not be paying as much attention for clay court in August <laughs> with the U.S. Open right around the corner. I would, I would also just add before I swing it around the room here that I get it in February because it's South American. It's the only time these players have a chance to play in their home continent, homeland. Uh, this is a little tough, tougher to justify. Mm -hmm. But I also get if you're a player like team or a player that needs to find a way to get ranking points for your living, for your livelihood. So I understand it, even if I'm not the craziest fan of it. Uh, but Kenny, here we are in the tennis schedule with uh, another clay event. Yeah, I don't love it. You know, we had obviously Hamburg last week as well, and uh, it does it it does feel as though if we're gonna go back to one surface, I do think grass is a good surface to go back to, and I I would predict that ultimately, uh, I think there's been murmurs or or rumblings, if you will, that uh, they will add a grass court masters event eventually. I mean, I would love to see that. I think we will see one probably in the lead up to Wimbledon in the next few years added. But I would also say like. You know, we had Newport, right? Uh, that was one grass event. It's like the, you know, sort of the rogue grass event that no one really plays. Um, I mean, you know, it would be cool to either go back to grass or, yeah, or just expand and add another hardcore tournament because uh, I, you know, as much as I, I, I'm, I can't even lie. I don't love Facundo Bagnus, right? But you know, you look at, you know, he he did play Dominic Team yesterday. I mean, that's a guy who's been really down on his luck. He hasn't earned a lot of ranking points, and you just you sort of just give him an olive branch, yeah. right? With these two tournaments, right? There's a lot of guys that disappointed at Golden Swing. That's where they usually make their money. They get a nice, you know, it, it's a nice story for them. But I don't really know if it really helps the tour a lot, you know, to have a guy that maybe should be seated or sorry ranked. You know, outside the top 75 gets an opportunity to play to you know a qualifier and then uh, or a lucky loser because everyone's dropping out around this time of year and then you know maybe lucks into a win in the second round all of a sudden no oh, he's back in the top 50 doesn't really deserve it so uh I, I like the rankings to accurately reflect you know or at least somewhat accurately reflect the actual rankings in the world and i do feel like that we you know we, we kind of mix it up when we have clay event uh, coming up after the uh, you know during hardcore season 
Yeah. And uh, before we went on the air, Zico and I were talking about just rescheduling the entire year. I don't know if that's possible, but uh, something. Can I, ask, can I ask a question, by the way, while we're talking about this? Do you have a guy, David Goffon? I wanted to mention, the, and we, we won't talk about it now, but I wanted to mention the U.S. Open qualifying field because he is in yeah. the field, uh, right? He's, he's going to have to qualify. You know, he's playing a clay court challenger right now, which makes no sense to me. And I, I it just, you know, kind of folds back into the conversation of I don't understand the scheduling or how players schedule themselves. But to me, it doesn't feel like it's a good good reason, you know, a good idea for David Goffin to be playing in a clay court challenger. I guess he's just trying to get his ranking points up, but it doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense when he's going to have to really focus on qualifying for the U.S. Open. So I don't know. Well, I think that's that's part of it. And I think you have to balance those two things. You have to get your ranking up. You have to earn some money, but you're going to sacrifice something. In this case, it's maybe your hardcore form. Well, and it could also be like just we don't know where in the world he is. We don't know where he's living. We don't know if they're you don't get um, injury reports for tennis like you do for like NFL. So we don't know if he's battling something unknown. So it, there's like there could be a million reasons as to why he could be playing in this position here. Um, does it make sense to us? No, but there's got to be an underlying reason as to why. Zico, I got a yeah. Sorry, I just I want to say one thing on the clay court event before I forget. I did have a question I wanted to pose pose to you, and that's: Would you retire from tennis if you blew a six four five zero lead with match points? I couldn't believe that when I saw that earlier. I didn't watch a second of the match, but like, I don't even know how it's possible. You'd almost have to win by accident at some point. So if anybody was on the wrong side of that, I feel terrible. Yes, I would retire. <laughs> Kenny, do you give props to Molkan or do you just say after no. man? Just, okay. All right. I've never once given any props to Alex Molchan and I w- refuse. <laughs> I will not give him any props. Uh, and, and if anything, it, it makes me hate him even more because he locked into, I mean, that is, that is one of the most all time melts you can get. And uh, I, you know, this guy's terrible. I don't understand how he keeps winning matches. That's a, that, that could be, dare I say a career derailer, like a loss like that is going to have some mental, mental baggage with it. To be fair, Sebastian Offner's career was already derailed. It was pretty much over anyway. So, uh, yeah, especially to do that. Let's also talk about the fact that he did that at Kitzbühel, right, yeah. in his home country. I mean, that is embarrassing. Could you imagine if Francis Tiafo yesterday blew that lead at the City Open? I mean, he was a top-ten player, right, so it's a little different. Kevin Durant would have walked out and be like, I don't know you, home. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Eubanks blowing it in Atlanta. I mean, you know, it's it's unfathomable. Yeah. Tough one to see, especially at home. Uh, and then we can kind of go into it with this, Pam. Uh, you want to talk about these two players in particular. Dominic Team and Kaney Shikori, two veterans that were top five in the world at their peak, team a major champion. Nishikori pulled out of D.C. but had a, a formidable run in Atlanta, coming back to the tour for the first time in two years. And Team still trying to find his footing. So where are we at with each player's form, in your opinion? Dominic Team playing the Austrian Open right now. It's- his home country, of course, but he won this event before. This is a huge opportunity for him to find his confidence. That is all team is really lacking here. But he came off a thrilling 7-6-7-6 win over Facunda Bagnus. I know you just mentioned right now that that's not a big-time player, but it's not about like who, he's, who, his comp- who his level of competition is because team's competition is himself right now. He saved five set points in the round of 16 against Zhang. His backhand looked pretty solid, as the match progressed, he kind of like fumbled there in the first set, losing 6-1, but he came back for the win. Wins like that are going to help him with belief that he can still be competitive in this because you see players like Andy Murray 
who are even though winning like challenger tour levels there's he's winning he's coming back from injury and winning and team is one of the players like how long has he been playing and this is only his first time having back-to-back -back match wins since early april at some point it becomes really defeating with your self-belief and that's really what team is just missing right now what because the, the yeah. shots are there you bring up a really good point and i think it's good to have these two players put together on this graphic and this topic i mean there is the debate of maybe he came back a little early sacrificed his perfect form and lost confidence coming back early kaney shikori Took was time. out for a long time like two years away from tour didn't look i mean kenny and zico you can correct me if I'm wrong he doesn't look like he's a shell of himself he looks like he's pretty solid still has work to do but maybe he did sacrifice those years off tour so he wouldn't just get shellacked when he came back yeah, I don't know if the thing about Kenny Shikori and, and Dominic Team is we we really do romanticize them quite a bit. And you know, you mentioned the time that Team had off, or did he come back to? I mean, he had like a year off, right? And he had multiple injuries that really kept him away. He had setbacks, so it, it was obviously a really tough recovery process. But before the injury, after the U.S. Open, and frankly, even during the U.S. Open win, right? I mean, he had no business winning that match against Alexander Zverev, but Zverev serving for the set, he just or serving for the match rather, and the title completely choked. Uh, afterwards, there was a huge mental letdown from team. He was losing a ton of matches. He looked terrible. He lost to Lorenzo Sanigo uh, in Rome, I believe. I, you know, it, there were just bad losses after bad losses. Nishikori is sort of the same thing. You know, he obviously he made the U.S. Open final. It was a very fun and weird final. I was there against Marin Cilic. But, I mean, he really hasn't been like a top 10 level player. Even before he was out for two years, he wasn't even close. So I think we have to sort of measure. The measuring stick is not really is Dominic team close to being a, you know, a, a grand slam champion or grand slam finalist or a grand slam semifinalist. But like, I just even want to see him get back to where he was before that, which was, he was in a little bit of a mental rut, but he was still able to win matches. Right. And I think I almost feel like Dominic team mentally now is better than he was when he, before he was on the shelf with the injury, but it just feels like, you know, it, it, Pam is right that he doesn't have a ton of self-belief, but I, I feel like he didn't have a ton of self-belief and he was still like a top 50 player. So I do question whether or not he's ever going to be able to get back to a top 50 level. He's been at this now for a year and a half. I will say the great news here is that he was not able to even win on clay, right? That was the weirdest thing was that clay was like his worst surface over the last year and a half when he was trying to come back. Now he's at least been able to, to win multiple matches on clay in a row. He's looked, he's looked decent serving the ball, hanging in long rallies. So there's a lot of positives here. But I'm definitely pumping the brakes on the comeback story of Dominic Team. Like, I, I, he is nowhere close to where he was before the injury. And, I, I you know, you, you see it on the tennis TV and the tennis channel Instagram. You see these amazing backhand down the line winners, which we've been accustomed to seeing for years. He has it in his bag. But I just don't – I'm not seeing a player right now that's, like, still anywhere close to where he was before injury. So um, it's a long road back. But, hey, if he wins Kitzbühel Kitz this week, right, and he proves us all wrong – and he did have a great job coming back after a terrible first set today against Zhang. Then, you know, one week can just change everything, right? We've seen that so many times this year. So uh, I'm rooting for him, and it would be great to see him win this tournament. Yeah. Well, Zico, when you're looking at these players on the road to coming back, especially, you know, team in Nishikori, but other players that have gone through long layoffs, from a, I guess, betting standpoint, are there certain things you're trying to pick up on? And maybe a strategy of a back-to-back -back could be tough. It took team this long, as Pam said, to win back-to-back -back matches. Is that that's something you're kind of monitoring as well? Well, the interesting thing is that, you know, when I'm betting matches, a lot of the times the way I'll do it is I'm looking for a player 
that's ranked higher than their opponent to be like, you know, an underdog in that match. Cause I'm trying to find the side that the Vegas, you know, wants wants to be on. And you get like mixed up a lot of the time because a player like team who's, you know, was ranked, you know, beyond 200 for such a long time would be favored or, you know, underdog. So there's kind of just the ranking aspect of it. It can be really confusing. Um, just in regards to like touching on what we just hit on, I do think the team has a top 50 level in him still. I think we've seen it a lot. I just, I agree with Pam actually that he just needs to string together a few wins. And I, I don't think he's, he's having a lot of trouble doing it, but he does look good to me. Yeah. I, I, I did think that last year when he, when he beat Tommy Paul in Austria and I mean, it looked like he was back or almost back, um, you know, and, and then he, he just sort of fell back into obscurity, but I will say uh, to your point, uh, Zach, that it, it is, it is crazy. Like when he was on that 10 match losing streak, or whatever it was, what was it last year at the beginning of last year or uh, two years ago into the beginning of last year, he was the favorite in every single match and the odds makers did not budge. They continued to offer him as the favorite. They made so much money off the public. So uh, it is well, a little tricky uh, sometimes yeah. to figure out what, where he is yeah. based on the lines. That's the name recognition factor. We see it in tennis all the time. Team has one of the names that people do know, and you know it's not going to be fair value. We see it a lot. Hope that these both these guys are, are playing their best tennis going forward. I, I do want to get some thoughts before we get to some of the picks that were already made and locked in by the panel. Uh, Pam, I know it's early leading up. Do you have any specific strategy in the U.S. Open lead-ups, players that you see or just hot streaks you try to uh, follow? Any strategy in these four or five weeks? At Alcaraz, at this point, <laughs> he proved all of us wrong at Wimbledon. And like like Zach said, like we had futures on Novak Djokovic to come out. And I knew entering that matchup that, all right, I knew after Alcaraz won um, Queen's Club that I was like, okay, this is likely, this is who we're going to see in the final. Yes, he has a legitimate chance to upset Djokovic. However, I also told myself that I didn't bet large on Djokovic. Um, it wasn't like life-changing money to want to like hedge. So you just kind of ride that out. And I had plus money on him. Mm -hmm. This is a different scenario. Um, Arcaraz is coming in with a little bit of rest. So is Djokovic. This is the U.S. Open is the hardest tournament to win consistently for a reason. Um, it's the end of the season when players are a lot more injured. They've had put a lot of miles on on court. Um, so, I mean, the humidity can get really get up there. The weather becomes a thing, night matches, day matches, all of that comes into play. And this is hardcore where like Medvedev comes back into the picture. Um, players like maybe even Felix, if he can find his form, like just, there's, there's a lot more options for who can win this tournament such so late in the year, you have to look for the draw and I will not make a wager on a futures until I see it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. um, Probably just blind bet Alcaraz, honestly. <laughs> I, I, think, I think for the lead-up events, too, it's maybe one of the things is that veterans, it's harder to trust to know what their level and their seriousness is going in. I mean, Djokovic is yeah. the great one. But, Kenny, you mentioned, like, last year, Canada, Pablo Carina Busta, you know, Dan Evans makes a huge run. Like, these players that aren't known as the top players in the game are doing better and better, it seems like, at some of these non-major events. So maybe... The strategy is just kind of let a couple rounds kind of gauge and see where we're at. I don't know. I mean, so I, I would call uh, I would call the uh, the Canadian Open and Cincinnati. I would call those major events, Mitch. And I, I actually have a bone to pick with everyone who calls the four slams majors because those are huge events. And I, I don't think it's 
you know, we can't equate them to Winston-Salem, right? We're like, oh, uh, you know, w- wow, I can't believe Dominic Kupfer is a quarterfinalist at a match. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, Daniil Medvedev won every single tournament in the lead-up to the U.S. Open a few years ago. And, you know, it's just because Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz now, uh, who's, who's uh, I guess, the Roman Reigns of the tour, just taking a lot of times off, you know, it, it's not like the BSVs are not there. It doesn't mean that top players are still not going to dominate here. And I think that that's something to keep in mind. And I also will, will say Pam uh, mentioned his name. So I, I did want to say my strategy going into this tournament or to this swing, rather, is waiting until Daniil Medvedev plays because I want to bet him to win the U.S. Open after the after Wimbledon. When Carlos Alcaraz won, I believe Medvedev was still plus 400 to win. He's now plus 700. And I'll, I'm telling you what, I think Francis Tiafoe is going to win the City Open this week. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a huge story. If he doesn't win it, he's probably going to go to the semis. I think his odds to win the U.S. Open after this week are going to uh, decrease. And I think Medvedev's odds could get a little bit longer. He's now at plus 700. I absolutely love him to win the U.S. Open. I think, it's, I think he's been incredibly slept on. I think he got... Look, I think Carlos probably ends up beating him if they meet at the U.S. Open, just like he did at Wimbledon. But I don't think it's nearly as one-sided because Medvedev is, is not as good on grass. And these yeah. two have still not really met on a hard court. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say, like, I'm going to bide my time and wait for the right time to pounce. But absolutely, I'm going to wait for that Medvedev. I'm going to try to time it right to get that Medvedev future at the best number. It's been creeping up. Again, plus 700 now is plus 400 after Wimbledon after this week. We could see plus 800, plus 900. That is really where I I think there's a lot of value in betting and doing this U.S. Open. So I know you wanted to talk about these specific tournaments. That's that's really what I'm looking at. It makes sense. And and for, you know, educating the public, I like that. You're not saying they're going to win the tournament. You're getting value. Value. Can I throw one out there, too? Go ahead. As a a pre-draw potential guy that you could hedge later in the tournament, Rublev is 40 to 1 to win the U.S. Open. 15 guys are priced ahead of him. I think he's a top six or seven player right now. And like, I know for a person that, you know, mental strength was a, you know, a weakness for him for such a long time. I think he's flipped the complete other way. He's a really trustworthy player now. I love him to make a deep run at the U S open. And yeah, I think 40 to one, you'll end up being able to hedge that and guarantee yourself money. At least count on him. I, I love, I will absolutely love that. I think we disrespect Rublev at the Grand Slams every single year. We always call an upset early. He always makes it deep. He doesn't actually ever make it to this, you know, the semis or the final. But the only thing I'm fearful of is like, I think Francis slaps him at the U.S. Open if they meet. He's done it two two times now. Uh, I think Medvedev beats him because he beats him every single time. I think even Nick Kyrgios, if he entered the U.S. Open, would beat Rublev based on the head-to-head. So, like, there's so many guys that I just don't see Rublev beating, but I do think that's a lot of good value there. I love that Zach said that because look at that. I am looking at the odds, and I am in shock (laughs) ahead of Rublev. Cam Nori, Denise Shapovalov. I mean, come on. Hey, Kyrgios. Well, Denise Shapovalov is insane. It's shocking. Yeah, Shapovalov, I mean. And you're exactly right. For him to at least win or to, like, get to the quarter, like, that's already automatic value. I love that. I like both of y'all's insight into that. I'm going to be paying attention to both. All right, look at us all green here on tennis bets. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna move it along to some picks here. We're, again, we're on the tennis.com Facebook page, tennis channel, YouTube, tennis bets, Twitter, and we're on the tennis channel podcast network as well. Let's go to some picks here because we do have some action to talk about. Uh, Zico had to talk to you about this one. Interesting line movement to say the least. Uh, you can walk us through this. You like FAA. Minus one and a half sets, minus 130 is what you locked it in at, but that's not where we sit right now. 
Yeah, this one scared me a lot. It went from minus 130 last night to plus 110 this morning to the point that I really regretted betting it and really regretted putting it out there. Um, I still think there's a chance he does it. I don't, I don't know what the score is right now. Just because Felix yeah. really is he's just a, such a much a much better player than him. But yeah, I thought Watanuki was going to lose his last match. Got a little bit lucky with what happened to Yuving uh, Wu, which was very scary, by the way. But um, yes, I, that's really why I took this. Just you know, the luck of getting to this point in the tournament and Ajay Alia seems served. Yeah, there's been some question marks there. So I think that might be scaring some people too. I hope there's not inside sources of people seeing things they don't like and that leaking out. Yeah. That's the big one. But I think that's a pretty smart, straightforward bet. I got to put this one up for Kenny because we're in a third set right now. Dan Evans, reference number two, bottoms up, everyone playing the game at home. <laughs> Dan Evans, minus 116. Barrer, again, not on clay. So that bodes in his favor too. What are your thoughts on, I guess, how the match has gone for those of us that haven't seen it and where you like and where you're at with Dan right now? Yeah, Dan Evans is an interesting case. And, and I this is around the time where I start to buy back in on Dan Evans. I know I think I, I had a, maybe a wager on him at Wimbledon. Uh, he's obviously a good grass player playing in, in London at, you know, on a home event. You know, It's obviously a good idea sometimes to bet on him given the price. But yeah, I mean, this is generally speaking, we've seen this, I think, the last couple of years now. Like, Dan Evans is a hardcourt player through and through. He's going to be at his best on hardcourts. And as we've seen with Francis Tiafo in years past as well, and this year, frankly, a little bit, um, you know, clay and grass season, not really kind because, you know, some guys just can't play on clay. They can't play on grass. Dan Evans, you know, wh whether he's talking about, you know, his, his where he is mentally on grass or whatever, like – there's never a question about where he is mentally on a hard court. Gregor Barrera has played more clay matches than hard court, outdoor hard court matches this year. He's very good indoors, but, you know, with elements at play with the serve, he's not nearly as strong. Also has had a lot of winning at the challenger level, not really as much the ATP level. I, look, I mean, the bottom line with Barrera is he's got a lot of power, but I still don't trust the ground strokes with him. I never have. I don't think he's particularly very good from the back of the court in extended rallies. And Dan Evans is going to make you play a million balls. And I just think as the underdog in this match, you know, it, it, he doesn't deserve to be the underdog in this match. And he wouldn't be, frankly, last year. But again, I would say the last year's run to uh, the, the semifinals of a, of a Masters event really came out of nowhere. He did make the quarters at the City Open and he beat Taylor Fritz. It was a really big win. But really, he was not looking good at all. And then boom, out of nowhere, we're back on hard courts. Dan Evans is back to being a top 25 player. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of value in betting him here. I'll be betting him next week as well, depending on uh, how he does here. And, you know, I, I also will say... He looked really good in Atlanta against Dominic Kupfer. And unfortunately for him, Dominic Kupfer is a guy that had absolutely nothing to lose. He's playing for basically his career at this point. Uh, just went balls to the wall, super aggressive shots. And that is how you beat Dan Evans. If you can paint lines and, and just go for low percentage shots, right? That's, you know, and you can land them. You're never, Dan Evans is never going to beat you. So uh, he, he took the racket out of his hands. It was a great match, I thought, by both guys. And so, yeah, I think that uh, Dan Evans has a little bit of value here. And they are indeed on serve in the third set. So I don't know what the live odds are looking like, but uh, I was on Evans pre-match at minus one Oh five. All right. Well said, we'll see if Dan can uh, hold on for you. Uh, Pam, we got a little parlay action going for you. We're going to go. Admit, these are, these are three, three tournaments going on. How many matches? And I don't love anything. And so you kind of have to like force no. my hand into like, all right, I'm going to take a little high risk or low risk play by doing a parlay, doing a Nicholas Jari, not a name I expected to say, but Nicholas Jari money line parlayed with Tommy Paul to win in straight sets over Felipe Alves. I mean, Jari is 6'6". He has a big serve, and he pushed Alcaraz to four sets at Wimbledon, a surface yep. that is not 
I didn't expect to be as suitable for him one tie break. Um, I mean, he, and he was able to be competitive in that matchup because he got a lot of free points off of that serve. And he has a 16 and six record over lefties, which is super good for me because that's usually a dynamic that tends to be a hindrance for a lot of players on tour. And he likes to, I mean, he doesn't have the best hard court record because he is predominantly like a clay quarter, 30% overall, actually. But if you look at his opponent, uh, Haas Brow, how do you say it? Brower? Haas Brower? He's Brower. He lost a 37-year-old Kevin Anderson who, let's be honest, needs to retire. <laughs> so yeah. uh, maybe yeah. it could be a competitive matchup, but I like Jari to come through with a win. Tie that with the Tommy Paul to win in straight sets over Felipe Alves, ranked 177 on tour. This is just a difference of strength of schedule. Yeah. Alves is a challenger tour player. He has only seven tour matches, two and five in those matches. Maybe there's going to be some rust from Paul because we haven't seen him play since Wimbledon. But this should be a warm-up matchup for him. On hard court, his best surface, he's good. He is one of like the best backboard players on tour, so I don't expect for there to be like a threat. And if this gets to a tiebreak, I would expect Paul to be the more coherent player uh to how to handle manage that situation so this is a lower level opponent and tie the two it's minus 125 well i I see the college football seeping in with the strength of schedule comment there (laughs) the only thing you got to be worried about is tommy paul at a tournament next to a beach man i mean that guy is i think there's (laughs) there's he has been spending the entire week on the beach on the boat uh same with cam nori frankly but cam nori's done it before and won so uh, yeah, I mean that's the only that's the only thing that's gonna stop him from from losing a set for sure. His he's mind must be on the beach. He's domesticated now. I think it's a more mature Tommy Paul. As we <laughs> and, and I know and I know Pam wanted to get in Los Cavos. That's why the parlay was the two players playing down there. So all right, <laughs> appreciate that as well. Uh, Got to get to Zico again now because you're riding the Murray train. Because I got it like I think it's plus one sixteen. The line's been shifting, but Murray money line against Nakashima. Why are you going with the British guy here? I just haven't liked the way that Nakashima has been playing. I know he's played a few more clay. He's played a few more hardcore matches. I think he's played three since Wimbledon. Murray hasn't played any, but Murray looks really good at Wimbledon. I thought that the match against Sitsipas, he probably would have won if they ended up finishing it that night. So I think he's in, you know, as good a form as you could be for guys taking off. I just think that he's better than Nakashima at pretty much everything. I don't see where. Nakashima has like a clear edge over Murray on the court. And I don't really worry about, you know, a veteran like Murray just transitioning over to hard courts. I totally, I'm, I don't know if I told Mitch that I'm on Murray today, but I, I am on Murray as well. Zico, I agree with you. It's, not, Nakashima, you know, it, I mean, really dating back to the days where he graduated from the challenger level, frankly, his challenger days as well. Odds makers have always loved this guy. I like him a lot. Like I, I had a lot of high hopes for him. I, I still do. You know, he hits the ball hard. Uh, he, he's, you know, a pretty competent player, serves well. There's not a ton of weaknesses in his game. But as you mentioned, like, not a lot of strengths, really, that you can put up against Murray and say, oh, yeah, he's, you know, open power from the back. Like, no, I, I, don't, I don't get this at all. I mean, unless, unless this match, you know, remember Andy Murray's famous rant when he whatever, finished that match at 2 a.m. at D.C.? Uh, you know, aside from, you know, aside from this match somehow taking place at midnight, uh, no, I don't think there's anything really. I mean, Pam, what do you think? I, I, I don't really see why Nakashima is a favorite here. Um, Andy Murray is a player that I like to be a fan of, not a better. <laughs> He's wildly <laughs> fair. And though I believe he that some flunkers and that is fair. I, I think the logic behind this best smart, but Murray does have some clunkers in there and it's not just back to back after long matches. Like there are times when he does in this stage of his career. 
So yeah, but no, I think I think if you're looking at it from the other side, betting against Nakashima might be the way you frame this. Possibly. I mean, if anything, I would um, probably. No, I don't have an opinion. <laughs> the under is, is more intriguing to me. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's just smart not to go into any route if you don't have an opinion. Uh, Kenny, I want to go to this one too before we uh, forget. I want to get your thoughts on the Bublik pick over Monfils. This will be exciting, or should be exciting. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I I don't. I I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of a bublik whisperer. You know, I, if you know this guy pretty well, I think you can know when he's going to play at his best. And this this, I, I wish that I had uh, a ton of data to sound smart to back up this pick. Like, oh, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm not hot on Monfils returns. Uh, you know, his return game is bad. And bublik, no, like. I think the bottom line here is this is going to be a this is going to be a, a highlight driven match, right? There's going to be a ton of amazing points. There's going to be a, there's going to be tweeners everywhere. This is a match that Alexander Bublik is absolutely not going to want to lose, and right. that is basically the only thing that ever holds him back from winning is when he, he you know he he doesn't care to win. I think he is much better right now than Gael Monfils is. You know he, he's in form. He's a younger player. Uh, he's he's playing at a top twenty level right now. And, uh, you know, we saw what he did in doubles with Talon Greek Sports, some highlights there. And I think, you know, I think this is a match where he's just going to show up. He's going to want to win this. He's going to want to put on a show for the crowd. Um, it probably goes three sets just because one of the other guys is going to want to give the fans a three-hour match. But, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that Bublik here, I mean, just knowing where he is and mentally, like, there's no chance he wants to lose this match. I think he's going to come out guns blazing. Uh, he's going to know the the occasion. I think he's going to win this match. So that's based on my only handicap on it. Is I think Bublik is, is he's, he's going to want to win this one. And we've seen it against guys like as good as Holger Runa, where he comes out, you know, he he raises his level because he knows it's a, a popcorn match that everyone's going to watch, and he puts on an incredible performance. So I think he's going to do that again here. And I just don't think Monfils has the matches under his belt right now uh, to really rival the top 10 level that we saw from him. What was it? Three years ago when he won those back-to-back -back titles earlier in the year at Rotterdam. So yeah, I think Monfils is a little far off that. And I think Bublik wins this match. What a, from a betting perspective, I do also want to add that it's always intriguing to me when the line semi moves against you but stays the same what i mean by that you have bublik at minus 140 the money line has remained the same but the spread movement dropped from two games to one so i'm still i when you look at stuff like that it's very yeah. cool i feel confident in putting money on bublik um and that is just like an additional take as to why See, to, to me, I, that's actually very interesting. I didn't know that. And that's very interesting to me because to me, I feel like the money line and, and what you said about the spread as well, I think that that reflects, um, and this is something that I really get frustrated by sometimes with the odds makers. Like, I think it reflects years of, of you know, knowledge about Bublik, right? I think that there's a lot of skepticism as to which Bublik we're going to get. And I think that's why they price him at just minus 140. I think if you, if they, you know, were able to shortly yeah. say, and by the way, I mean there are there are books that don't even offer Bublik matches because they just this is one of the most erratic players on tour. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I will say, yeah, I think that reflects like they probably think Bublik's going to tank a set or you know tank the end of a set if he gets down. That's, so yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. Like I, I so I actually would would yeah. play the spread yeah. at that point if it's minus one as as Pam's saying. I would almost play the spread because I think that's that's much better price at minus probably minus one ten minus one twenty then play the money line. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't understand like how they can't just have a nuanced discussion about Alexander Bublik or compartmentalize and say, okay, well, look at the last three months. This guy's been really good. Uh, he's going to be really good against Gale on feast. Right. So, I mean, it, I think that's where the, the pricing comes in. 
I was just bracing for the meltdown, but it hasn't happened in a while, and and I'm with you guys. I don't think it happens. Uh, final pick, final pick here, Zico. I should take us home. Layla Fernandez, you like plus one thirty against Maria Sakri in the money line, and played well. Big win over Bernardo Pera last match, and Sakri, another one that's been known to get tripped up early in these tournaments. Yeah, I had Fernandez in that last match. She didn't really serve well at all, but she's playing really well from the baseline, and she's played three uh, three matches at this tournament already because she had to go through qualifiers. That's really why where I went with this. Soccer really hasn't played on hard courts, and the last time we've seen her, she's been losing in the first round of tournaments. So I just don't really trust her, and I think this is a good price on Layla. This women's event is, like we mentioned it, all top 40 players. It's a 500 that has a field like a 1,000, a Masters, and it's a very, very good event, and there's going to be upsets and value to be had. So I like this one. Uh, well, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. This is the first of many in the run to the U.S. Open. Uh, been a pleasure, as always. We may be a little too agreeable today, but hey, we got to balance out previous shows. But uh, any final shots around the board? Any final words on uh, what we're looking at this weekend and beyond? I didn't get to say it, but I think that Kaney Shikori has a better opportunity to have short-term success than Dominic Team, Unless Dominic Team, as y'all mentioned earlier, that he ends up winning this tournament in Austria, then maybe this could like really catapult him. But if he doesn't, then Nishikori, he looked really good. He looked really solid. The shots were there. It was purely his knee was a little bummed and he couldn't have generate power with his backhand. Yeah. Take that away, have a little bit more recovery. Maybe he is getting older, the 33 years old, but I mean, he still looked very much like the solid returner that he, that he was. I'm looking forward to watching both. I'm like you said, we are fans. What is it? We are um, falling in love with these players as underdogs, and yeah, very much. I still am too. Any final thoughts I, for you? Yeah, my, I have two quick final thoughts. Actually, ironically, with Kana Shikori, I, I I learned this two years ago when I was watching Nishikori against Miomir Katsmanovic at Kitzbühel. Shout out to the Kitzbühel DJ. This guy is unbelievable. I know that there's now <laughs> been some posts this year that like tennis TV's. Been posting some some videos about the DJ going crazy, but this is one of the best DJs we have in this sport. So I want to give him a special shout out here. If you don't know, okay. watch Kids Hell. It'll get the blood flowing early in the morning with this with this music. The other thing I wanted to say is if you get a chance today, check out the qualifying entry list on the men's side for the U.S. Open because I'm very excited to. I'm going to go and watch this. It's going to be incredibly special. But we've got guys like Diego Schwartzman, David Goffin. Uh, in qualifying, which is which is pretty pretty special. Kristen Garin as well, uh, Benoit Pair, Fabio Fanini, and then we've got a lot of good stories like uh, you know Alexander Kovacevic, who's really looking to qualify for another Grand Slam. So I think there's going to be a lot of good tennis played in qualifying, and I'm very very excited to see it. All right, Zico, anything before we say a bit adieu to the tennis bets show? Yeah, just another kind of future for the U.S. Open. I still don't think Von Drusova is getting enough respect. I saw her at 35 to 1 to win the Open. I think it's down to 25 to 1 now. But I think that she's as close to a top five player as you could be at this point. It wasn't just Wimbledon, it was what she was doing before then. She was so steadily good in the first half of the season. And I do I do think that she's going to be great on hard courts. That's a good one. And she's done it before. So that gives her a leg up over a lot of the field. So something to monitor. Well, Gang, it was fun. We'll be back next week. More Tennis Bets. Check us out on the Tennis Bets Twitter, Tennis Channel YouTube, Tennis.com Facebook, and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network on all your platforms. For the entire panel, Kenny Ducey, Pamela Maldonado, and Zachary Cohen, my name is Mitch Michaels. 
We'll see you next week as the summer hardcourt season rolls along here on Tennis Bets.